Welcome to Nine to Thrive, the well-being podcast. I'm Julie Fisher, your host and positive psychology practitioner, coach, and well-being advocate. Here, you will find meaningful and lively conversations with experts where we explore the challenges to maintaining a strong sense of well-being, along with providing tips, tools, and strategies to thrive and flourish in our ever-changing and complex world. If you're ready to create more harmony, cultivate deeper connections, foster a greater sense of well-being, and live the life you long for, then you're in the right place. Thanks so much for being here. Let's begin our journey together. Hello, and welcome to Nine to Thrive, the Wellbeing Podcast, Episode 8. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. As our listeners may know, I am a positive psychology practitioner. And in the PERMA-V model of positive psychology, which was the beginning model for thriving and flourishing in the world, the A of that model stands for achievement. And it's one of the essential pillars to thrive and flourish in this really complicated world we're living in. Think about it. We all know the thrill of achievement. Maybe it's making a big sale or crossing the finish line for that half marathon you signed up for or hitting the ball out of the park or hitting your revenue number for the year. Not only do we get a dopamine hit from that, so biologically we're wired to love achievement, But for everything we achieve, we build confidence, we build our sense of self-efficacy, and it reinforces the behavior and encourages us to repeat it in the future. So goal-getting begets more goal-getting. Today, we're here talking about setting goals and getting goals with Jen Lafine. Welcome, Jen. Thank you for having me, Julie. I'm very excited to chat with you today about my favorite, favorite topic. I know. I'm so excited to have you here. Let me tell you a little bit about Jen. Jen is a success mentor, which I love that title, who has spent the last 15 years helping goal setters become goal getters. She specializes in supporting those who struggle with procrastination, perfectionism, and imposter syndrome to develop self-accountability without angst and move out of their comfort cave toward new growth. Jen is the host of the Flight School podcast and founder of the Goal Getters Club. Ah, welcome. I'm so excited to talk about goal getting today. I want to begin by asking how you became a success mentor. That's a really great question. And it's something, to be quite honest, that I fell into, or maybe I should say I evolved into it, because over the course of my own journey in goal setting and goal getting, I learned a lot about the process that they do not teach you in school. And I thought there is some possibility here for people. I want to be able to help others dream bigger for themselves and not only dream, but also make those dreams a reality. That's kind of how I fell into it. Yeah. I love that. I I think that you are helping people with probably three of the biggest barriers to meeting goals, both big and small. I think sometimes we think of those big hit the ball out of the park goals. And we know that big goals are really a culmination of many tiny steps that help us get there. And so 
I think procrastination, perfectionism, and imposter syndrome can impede us in the smallest of ways, which impacts our ability to not only take those small steps, but also get to bigger steps, which help us get those big goals. So I see all of these related to mindset and narratives in a lot of ways that we constantly have going on in our heads. I'd love to talk about each one of these separately in and of itself. So having worked with people for 15 years, what do you think people procrastinate on things they know they need to do to meet the goals that they have? Sure. Well, that is a really great question, Julie. And I have this concept that I teach my clients, which is called the comfort cave. And some people also may know of this as their comfort zone. And basically the comfort place, your comfort cave is the place where you feel safest. And your primal brain, which is that very ancient part of your brain, the part of your brain that is still calling the shots as if we were living in prehistoric days, that part of your brain is focused solely on your survival. And so anytime you are going to be doing anything that will take you out of your comfort cave, that part of your brain starts getting nervous and it uses discomfort as a way of getting you to stop what you're doing, to stop your attempts at growth and to turn around and come back to the cave. So it uses things like It'll throw self-doubt at you. It'll throw imposter syndrome, perfectionism, procrastination. It throws all of those self-doubt roadblocks at you as a way of kind of tripping you up and getting you to stop your forward motion. So in regards to procrastination, I truly feel that one of the reasons that we procrastinate is because we fear that discomfort. We don't want to have to face that discomfort of growth. But what I have done is I have figured out that when I am doing something new that is going to lead to my growth, I've learned to expect the discomfort as a part of the journey. And when I experience it, instead of being like, oh, no, I better stop what I'm doing and and go back to my comfort cave, I use it as a sign that I'm actually headed in the right direction. So, for instance, I'm working on writing a book right now. Every single time I sit down to write that book, it is uncomfortable. I hear thoughts of like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I have nothing to say. What am I going to write today? I can't think of any words to write. I have learned because of this work that I do that when I experience those things, that's just my doubt trying to get me to get up from my desk and go and watch Netflix, right? But instead, I'm like, oh, this is actually a good thing because I'm I'm doing something that is going to lead to my growth, which of course writing a book does. Yes, it's so interesting. It's it's riding what I call the growth edge. And when I think about procrastination, when I think about a lot of my clients, I think there's fear of failure, fear of success, maybe. You know, the, the flip side of that coin is is fear of actually actual success or a story, I'm not organized enough to write a book, or mm-hmm. I don't have the skills that it takes. Um, I haven't written enough before. Think about all those narratives. I don't have the training. I haven't read enough. Everybody else is better than me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't taken enough classes. That's what. That's one for me. I can, 
I can really get on that treadmill of, oh, I think I need to take another workshop on that. Down the rabbit hole of research. Yes. <laughs> yes. I need another program. Um, yes. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. I think all of those procrastination is a tool to keep us from riding that growth edge. And actually it keeps us from moving forward and sort of stops us in our tracks. I talk about accelerators and brakes. You know, there are things that stop us in our tracks. Procrastination is one of them. Yeah. And procrastination also becomes a habit. And unless we are aware of it, we can't break it. So we know that, for instance, when we're sitting down to do something hard and we start to experience that discomfort, we have habitually developed behaviors to get us out of that discomfort, whether it be procrastination, whether it be snacking, whether it be opening up Amazon and buying yourself a new pair of shoes, like whatever it is, it's a habit. And it just as you can start a habit, you can also reprogram that habit into something more productive. Absolutely. And I think there are all sorts of little hacks that we can do. For instance, when I need to sit down and write, I have learned because I can really go in a rabbit hole of scrolling. It's a great mind number for me when I'm uncomfortable. So when I sit down, if I have something that I need to write, my phone doesn't come with me. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. 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 So I think it is learning some of those tools and those little hacks. I love that. Let's talk about perfectionism. Oh, let's talk about perfectionism. Because <laughs> I think a lot of people struggle with perfectionism and, and may not even realize it. Perfectionism is tied, I think, so much to thoughts that we've never questioned. And from perhaps some conditioning that was given to us when we were in school or when we were growing up that we took as something that is the truth and didn't realize that once we're adults, we can decide for ourselves what our truth is. So Seth Godin once said, perfectionism is a form of hiding. And so for a lot of people, especially your high achievers, they use perfectionism sometimes as a way of hiding and possibly not showing that public face of potential failure or mishap or mistake. Okay. Because they never learned. And a lot of people have never learned that failure and mistakes are learning experiences. I like to call mistakes our data. And when you're doing something and you don't get the result that you're looking for, it is data for you to be able to learn from. And it's no reason, like when I work with clients in a coaching situation, we make sure we do not hold space for shame, blame, or guilt. Because as long as we're attaching shame, blame, and guilt to our mistakes, those mistakes are going to continue to not serve their purpose, which is to teach us one way that didn't work. So when you're struggling with perfectionism, like you don't allow yourself that learning opportunity. Yeah, I totally agree. When I'm listening to you, what's coming up for me is it's also what Carol Dweck talks a lot about in her book, Mindset, with that fixed mindset. I'm not going to be the risk taker 
because if if I if it has to be perfect, I'm not going to actually take the risk for it not to be perfect. And like you, I say we either achieved or got to the de- destination we wanted to, or we learned something, one or the other. Absolutely. But you know, what I also I discovered because I think I had some perfectionism, probably. I would say for the first two thirds of my life, mm. because of my, I had was holding on to these beliefs that were not true. I was a firstborn daughter, mm. first college graduate in my family, and I thought that there were certain expectations for me. Yes, that became a part of my personality, and holding those expectations and and staying up on them is exhausting, right? Yes. Yes. And I just got to a point in my life where I'm like, I just want to breathe. And it just, it, I just kind of just made a decision one day that I was going to let go of that and let the cards fall where they may and, and deal with it from there. And what actually happened is I discovered that those expectations that I had lived two thirds of my life thinking were, were rules for me. We're never rules to begin with. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I think in the absence of fact, we create a story, right? And so, yeah, I it, that totally makes sense to me, Jen. Like you're the first one to do something big that feels really big. And you created a story around, around what that meant, right? Well, this is what... And we're meaning makers. That's that's how we make sense of our world. We create narratives and create stories. And that makes so much sense to me. And, and then we fall into almost a persona, right, of, well, this is who I am. And if I'm this, then this is what this means. And even if I don't want to be that, I want to be this now. But you created this almost self-fulfilling prophecy for yourself. Yes. Yes. And shedding that, right? Shedding that and reprogramming those, those neurons. It is a reinvention. It is a rediscovery. And I think, you know, I said it, it was my first two thirds of my life. Like, I don't think it was until I got into my forties that I was finally willing to be like, this isn't working for me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Like I said, that makes, I think perfectionism and imposter syndrome, I think these two can go together. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I don't think I know anybody who has never felt these things. I would agree with you. I don't know anybody who has never felt these kind of emotions. I definitely, I want to talk about imposter syndrome, which is slightly different than perfectionism, I think. I have definitely had seasons of my life where imposter syndrome has been in the driver's seat. My, I'm going to take another class is very much part of, I need to know more. I wasn't academic as a child. And so I had a I'm not smart enough story for a long time. And I also recognized the ways that I maneuvered and found success in that container. And when it came to things that I thought I needed to be smart about, I could get on a treadmill of saying, oh, I'm going to do it after I take that next certification. I'm going to do it after I take that class. And I saw all the ways that 
I, again, that's simply an old story that keeps coming up and not until I was ready to shift that story and make room for a different story, which is, yeah, I, I actually know, I do know a lot. Yeah. I don't think I need that next class. And it is a conscious decision. Yes. Yes. It's not just going to go away. It does not just go away. And it's also, again, habitual where you have been denying yourself opportunity based on certain beliefs that you have to say, like, wait a minute, I'm not driving down this road anymore. I'm turning this car to the right and seeing where this road takes. The car's not going to turn itself. You have to make that decision. But the other thing I want to point out, Julie, which I think is really important because you said you didn't, you didn't know of anyone who doesn't struggle with perfectionism or imposter syndrome. And I would say all of the self-doubt roadblocks, somebody is, you've experienced them. But the thing is, is that we think we're the only ones. So true. And we think that I'm the only one who doesn't feel qualified to write a book and everybody's going to find out when really the truth is everybody struggles with self-doubt. Everybody. The difference is, is people who are successful are those who learn how to navigate the self-doubt because the self-doubt is never going to go away. So in the book, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. I love that book. Okay. So my favorite, favorite story in there, and I read the section a lot and I share it with a lot of my clients is her story about taking a road trip with fear, how she said, you know, in the creative world, fear is always with you. It is always going to be coming along for the ride. You got to put it in the back seat, tell it to keep its hands to itself, not to touch the radio. It doesn't get to control the map. It does not get to decide, decide, but it, you will let it ride with you. And I think you can't fight it. You have to accept it's part of the deal of growth, but you also know that you're not going to let it make decisions for you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like it's so funny because I say like, how do we, how do we talk back to our perfectionist and our imposter? And I think for a long time, I wanted to punch that version. I wanted to punch that persona. And until I realized, no, 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 no. You know what? I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat you out of me. Right. This makes sense. Perfectionism, imposter syndrome, it makes sense because we're always gazing out there to detect danger, right? And because in the early years of our lives, we relied on people out there for our survival, right? People, we had to source everything outside of ourselves, our safety, our security, our approval. We had to source all of that outside. And so when we get to adulthood and we're still scanning out there, right, for those things, and it's shifting that conversation, right? It's shifting for me. It is that I'm not going to muscle my way out of you. I'm going to invite you in for tea and we're going to have a conversation about how you can ride along in the backseat and I don't need you in the driver's seat, right? That idea that yeah, I don't need you to drive this bus. I almost kind of think of it as like a really needy child who just wants to be in the room. 
right? Because those things, all of those roadblocks, the self-doubt roadblocks, even comparison, confusion, procrastination, perfectionism, imposter syndrome, that is just your brain's way of protecting you. And so why would you want to get rid of something that's trying to protect you? But you also can use your rational part of your brain because the primal brain is not rational. You can use the, the analytical part of your brain and say, thank you for your concern. I've got this. Yes. Yes. And thank you because at one point I did need you, right? That idea that at one point I did need you and I just don't need you now. I'm not in the driver's seat and I can feel a lot of tenderness for you. That's usually the word I use. Like I can feel tenderness for you. Um, You are a needy child and Yes. And I'm a grown up now. Yeah. I love that. I want to talk about self accountability. For me personally, I have always loved being accountable to someone else. And this year, I'm really working on self accountability. I've put some systems, different systems in place. And so far, they're working. I'm guessing that it differs depending on the person. Are there tips, tools, suggestions that you make for people who struggle with being accountable for themselves? Because I believe that that's a lot of people. I I believe most people are better with external accountability than internal accountability. So let's talk about that. Well, I have this concept that I teach called the self-trust bank. And if you imagine in your mind a piggy bank, every time you do what you say you're going to do, you make a deposit in your self-trust bank, okay? Your goal is you want to build up a nice, fat self-trust bank. When you are going to do something that's really hard or really challenging that you've never done before, you can go into that self-trust bank and pull from that because in that, in the self-trust bank are, is all the experience of success where you have shown yourself that you can show up and that you're reliable to yourself. Okay. The problem happens is if you break promises to yourself, It's not that you don't make a deposit in your self-trust bank. You actually are making a withdrawal from your self-trust bank because you are showing your inner confidence that you can't be trusted, that you can't, that you are, are kind of maybe flaky about doing what you say you're going to do. So when it comes time to do big things, you're not on a steady ground. You're on more rocky ground because you don't have much confidence in that self-trust bank because it's not very big, you haven't shown yourself that you can really show up and do those hard things. So when I talk to people about self-accountability and they share something that they did where they were able to ride through the discomfort and get the thing done, because remember, discomfort is a part of every single thing that we do when we're growing. You know, I always remind them, you made a nice deposit in your self-trust bank today. So if you think about it, 
it's not just that you're procrastinating on doing what you said you were going to do. That's one thing. But you actually, in the process of doing it, you're making a withdrawal from your self-trust bank and you're showing yourself that you're not trustworthy. That is going to come back and bite you later down the road when you want to do something bigger, harder, maybe more risky. You won't have that confidence to pull from. I love that. I love that self-trust bank. Like I love the visual of it and that whole idea of making deposits and withdrawals. And it's almost like if if procrastination wins, then self-doubt wins. And self-doubt is a withdrawal. You know, if perfectionism wins, self-doubt is winning. Such a great framework to think about it. So the goal then is to, because I it's almost like I see these in a circle, right? So we have we have um perfectionism, procrastination, imposter syndrome, like up here swimming around. And then we have our bank here. And when when we're working on these things up here, the most common things that get us in the way of our growth and, and kind of pushing against our growth edge, when we can push through, we're making deposits. Because I see sell, the self-trust bank closely tied to building self-efficacy. So the more times that we actually do what we say we're going to do, especially if it's challenging, and you know we define what's challenging, right? And and I also think, Jen, what's challenging on Monday for us may not be challenging on Friday, but boy, on that Monday that was really challenging for me. And so that idea that as we make those deposits, we're building self-efficacy and we're building again a new neural pathway i think that's telling us the next time procrastination shows up or the next time perfectionism shows up we can say no 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 definitely take a seat in the back seat because i've got this yeah and i have clients that will make a visual representation like they'll keep a little jar on their desk. And when they do something they say they're going to do, they put a marble in the jar. Yes. When they, when they don't, they take marbles out, not just one, but a couple. And so when it's time to go and do something bigger, maybe more challenging or scary for them, they've got that visual of that jar with all those marbles in there that, are, that all represent times that they showed up for themselves. Yes. It's if you have you read the book The Gap and the Gain? No, but I have it. It's such a good book and it's sort of that concept, right? Like a full marble jar is is showing the gain. And yet our brain is wired to look at the gap. So it's it's wired to look at well we're not there yet, right? The gap of where we are to as opposed to wow, look how many investments I got, you know, and deposits I got. And yeah, I think a visual, I, I'm a, I'm a visual learner. And so I think visual tools for me, I have like walls with sticky notes on that. Like I'm a visual person. So I love that idea of actually having a jar 
with a visual, whether it's a penny or a marble or a dollar or, you know, I don't know, a paperclip, whatever it is. I love that idea. I love that. What other tools and strategies do you suggest for people who have set and want to go get big audacious goals? Well, I think the first thing is if you can't be self-accountable, you need an accountability partner. You need a coach. You need somebody who is going to help you through that discomfort that comes because we've, I mean, we've been trained that when things are hard, we stop and we can't do that. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm big on accountability partners. If this is an area of struggle and I, I still, if I have a, if I have a big, big goal, I have an accountability partner. I I love checking in with somebody. And sometimes it's simply a text, someone that I say, this is what my goal is. And I'm going to text you every week by, by you know, by five o'clock on Friday to tell you what my progress is. It's such a simple tool. And I think sometimes people underestimate how much people want to cheer them on. I, I think an accountability partner is such a great tool because the times people have asked me to be an accountability partner and not my clients, right? But friends or fellow coaches who say, okay, I'm working on this big thing. I feel honored and excited. And I think it's in our nature to want to see our friends, colleagues succeed. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Accountability partner. What else? What other tools and strategies? One of the strategies that has worked really well for me is I am a huge uh, proponent of, I would almost call myself an evangelist of journaling. I love journaling. I love that it helps me take my thoughts and make them visible so that I can sit down and go through them and kind of determine, ask the question, is this true or does it just feel true? Which is a very good question to ask when you're experiencing doubt. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I love, I don't know if you practice, if you've ever done Byron Katie's three questions, you know, is this true? Are you sure it's true? How do you know it's true? And could the opposite be true? Like that, I love that. Could the opposite be true? Ooh, a lot of times the opposite could be true because in the absence of fact, we're creating a story. Absolutely. Yes. Or the question I'll ask is what else could be true? Yeah, exactly. What else could be true? Usually it's a lot of other things. Yeah, I know, right? For sure. For sure. So yeah, those two things I think are are tools that I have used and that I use with my clients to help them be goal getters. Last year, I really got into future self journaling. And it's so interesting because I, in the middle of last year, one of my future self journal entries was, I am a podcast host. And I wrote that every day. I probably started, really started really thinking about doing it in maybe April. And I wrote that every day. And there on December 19th, Nine to Thrive the Wellbeing podcast was born. And 
I am a huge believer. I'm a huge believer in journaling for processing, for just being a mirror for me, all the thoughts that are in my head. You know, it's the proverbial dumping ground. And I think it's an amazing place to get clear on our goals and the things that we want to achieve. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So setting and meeting goals is one piece of thriving. And I'm asking every guest on the podcast, what are the top three things you do personally, professionally, whatever in in the entirety of your life, your being, what are the three things you do to thrive? That's a really great question. What are three things that I do to thrive? So are you talking about like hobbies or mindsets or give me a little bit more here? You know what? It's, it's really anything because there's so much to thriving. It can be mindset. It can be movement. It can be gratitude practices. It can be activities that get you into flow. It can be sleep. Yeah. Okay. Well, we could start with that one. I am a huge proponent of napping. (laughs) As a matter of fact, it really irritates my mom because when I nap, I turn off my phone. She doesn't love that. And then she can't get hold of me. So it's napping. Journaling is also another one. And I love working sewing with my hands. So I do art quilting, um, wool applique, just something to keep my hands busy. Usually while I'm listening to a book or a podcast, or even sometimes if the TV's on. So I just, yeah, I love that. That's creating, right? I mean, it's doing something with your hands and it's, there's something that is created from doing it, which I think creation I think cre I think creating is an underutilized source of thriving in the world. And it doesn't have to be crafts. Like it could also be baking. Right now, <laughs> right now I'm embracing my beginner mindset by trying to figure out how to make sourdough bread. <laughs> With sour like homemade sourdough starter, which is not an easy thing to do. And that's not easy. <laughs> I know that's, I have a, I have a cheater hack recipe for sourdough bread. I know it is not easy to do it. The, I'm going to call it the old fashioned way. Um, so really stretching me <laughs> in my growth mindset of, I can figure this out. Gosh, darn it. And everybody is going to eat that bread when I make it. <laughs> and it's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. Well, it's so funny you say that. I do think stretching ourselves is another avenue ingredient to thriving. I mean, so even our whole conversation, whether it's having a specific goal that you're going after, I think stretching ourselves simply out of our comfort zone and creating new neural pathways is, you know, as I get older... I see the ways that people who are that much older than I am, I see the ways that the lifelong learners, the ones who want to keep stretching, the ones who want to keep 
learning about technology or keep reading those books or, and if their eyes start failing, they're listening to them on Audible. I see how it impacts the aging process and our ability to thrive is really, really dependent on our openness to keep learning. Absolutely. Yes. I always have a book going, which by the way, earlier we were talking about books and you were talking about Gap in the Gain and two books that I recommend also written by um, Dr. Ben Harvey. The first book of his I ever read, which I thought was just absolutely brilliant is Personality Isn't Permanent. And the second one is Be Your Future Self Now. So if you or your listeners haven't read those books, and they do have an interest in the things that we've been talking about today. I think those are great places to start. I love that. I love those. I love both of those. You know what? I'll put links in the show notes for those books. And I'm also going to, for our listeners, we're going to put Jen's contact information in the show notes. I'm going to put a link to her podcast in the show notes. And I am so grateful to you. I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much for being oh, well, here. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. To all of our thrivers listening, thank you. Together, let's be brave, curious, grateful, and kind. And we will see you next time. We've come to the end, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Nine to Thrive, the well-being podcast. I really appreciate you listening. I invite you to follow and like this show on whatever platform you're using. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend, share it on social media, or write a review. My goal is to provide useful information that will help you to thrive and flourish, and I always welcome your feedback. If you want to receive more strategies to increase your well-being in your inbox each month, head over to my website, juliefishercoaching.com, and sign up for my newsletter. Until next time. Take care, Thrivers.